Sonic States. Okay, hello everybody, welcome to Sonic Talk number 209, recording live today, Wednesday the 2nd of March. Uh, uh, you can see us in the chat room, uh, listen to the live stream, watch the live stream, join us in the chat room. If you're not already there, then perhaps you'd like to go there next week. SonicState.com forward slash live, 4pm UK time. Uh, we got a bunch of guests, we got a special guest this week as well, and uh, thoroughly uh, very pleased to introduce you to Dave Gamson, uh, the legendary, some say, in many circles, <laughs> certainly in my, in, in my household, and I believe in Dave Spears' household, programmer, uh, keyboard player, synthesis, producer, anything else I've missed there, Dave? No, thanks. That's a very nice introduction. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. So uh, Dave's over in LA, uh, where it's horribly early in the morning, but fortunately he's an up and early kind of guy, so uh, we haven't sort of draw, dragged you out of bed, I hope. No, I'll see what I can do. I've had my coffee, so I should be good. Okay, excellent. Well, thanks for joining us, Dave. I'm just going to nip round yeah. and uh, introduce the rest of the panel. Um, right, uh, we've also got, while we're over in the States, we've got Rich Hilton from sunny Connecticut, where he works on a daily basis with Rich Hilton, uh, with <laughs> Nile Rogers in his, <laughs> in his personal studio, as well as playing live with Sheik and many other things. How are you, Rich? I'm beside myself. Beside yourself? Yeah, I work with myself now. <laughs> ah, okay, cool. There's two of you. Does that mean you have an assistant or you're just yourself? No, we're both confused. Okay. Uh, Rich Hilton at MySpace or Facebook, if you want to get in touch with him. And while we're over there, let's see, we'll come back this way and we'll say hi to Dave Spears from G4Software.com. Hello. Makers of fine musical instruments. How are you, Dave? I'm good. Yeah, I've got all my samples lined up. Right. Okay. Do you want to hear the first one? Okay, let's hear it. Nice. I believe I believe Dave Spears, Dave Spears actually introduced us to to Dave Gamson, and I believe that uh, those as as we're actually one of the reasons that Dave is here. Uh, Dave Gamson's here is because um, there's a new uh, Scrutiny release. It's kind of a retrospective. There, I, I think Dave will be liberally sprinkling the show with um, Scrutiny references and perhaps others. I don't know what else he's got up his sleeve. Just to explain you there. Anyway, Just thank to you for make me uncomfortable. Well, yeah, <laughs> perhaps so. I don't know. I don't know what your what kind of relationship you have. I hope it's. Not uncomfortable. <laughs> but anyway, um, no, Dave Spears, fine. thank you for joining us. And um, while we're coming back this way, we'll say hi to Mark Tinley, uh, likebeing.com, a programmer, a sound artist, engineer, writer, creative thinker, those kind of things. How are you, Mark? Hello, I'm very well. Um, yeah, very well indeed, actually. You've got red spiky hair. Well, we were going to. We I were going to. red spiky hair. Gina said to me, Will you go and get your hair cut? Because it was getting really long and crazy. So, and she said I looked like a tramp. And she kept posting pictures of tramps on Facebook. <laughs> so I, I went to the hairdressers. And when I booked myself in, I found out that they were doing a free colour with every cut. So I said, okay, good. I'll have red spiky bits in it. And they've got this amazing new dye. I've got really dark hair. Well, you still have, maybe. <laughs> um, but it just... Oh, this dye is some kind of new process, and it and within about forty minutes, it just came out like this. If I, oh, in the punk days, this is the most thing awesome. Well, I have to. I refer you back to. We used to have a guy called Sean Ra, who was our kind of uh, punky guy, very stylish. He used to have bright red hair a lot of the time. But whenever we used to go to trade shows, um, he'd have to take his own towels because we go. He, if he if he if it rained or anything, or he had a shower or whatever, uh, he'd go to sleep in the in the hotel room. And uh, the pillow would be bright red because the dye would just continually come out of his hair. So they've obviously got some good fixatives. I'm glad to hear that. Totally different dye. This doesn't do that. Well, there we go. <laughs> it's not just music it's technology not. here. It's hair products too we like to talk about. Yes, fabulous. <laughs> which, of course, <laughs> which, of course, do not apply to me in the slightest unless I was perhaps dyeing my back hair or something like that, which I don't intend to do. You could have, a, you could have leopard print on the back there. I could, couldn't I? I could have some sort of creative stencil. <laughs> perhaps I could. Sonic state. A sonic stencil. Yes, we could just have the logo, logo on, the logo back. on my yeah, that would be brilliant. No, well, except then I'd have no. Let's just leave it. Anyway, let's come back here and uh, we'll also say hello to Gaz Williams, our resident uh, Welsh producer based in Bristol. How are you, Gaz? Yeah, great. Thank you very much. Songsurgeon.co.uk is uh, Gaz's recently, um, well, recently launched website where you can find yeah. out all things Gaz. And I've got a newer website, which I've just launched, called quag.co.uk, which is uh, dedicated to me promoting... I'm trying to get a, a new word in the dictionary, which is... Uh, and it's musically relevant. It's a, it's a, it's a word for a, a wrong note, and we call it a quag. 
and we've been using it in my band for years and we've just I've just decided to go public with it now and I'm really it's a big deep ambition of mine to get it into the dictionary you see so, so you're going to have to you're going to have to be going somewhere <laughs> to replace bum though aren't you i mean that's that's kind of oh, i know if you go to the website i, I use lots of de- uh, lots of um examples to sort of uh demonstrate how quag is the ultimate word for a wrong note <laughs> right so you're aiming your aim is to get it into the oxford dictionary before what yep. the end of the end of the year or what's your kind of Ooh. deadline I don't know. I was thinking. Um, I was kind of thinking in my lifetime, really. Oh well, no, that's that's fair. <laughs> Which enough. I hope is more than the end of the year. Yeah, I would. Ima- I would imagine so. I imagine all all yeah. things being good. Anyway, um, Sonic Talk number two hundred nine. Let's get going. So, Dave Gamson, um, obviously, right now, um, you, is it this week that the uh, Absolute came out? This is the sort of retrospected uh, Scritty Politi album. Yeah, I think it came out this week. Yeah, uh, I mean, and it's, I think it's only in Europe. Ah, okay. I wasn't aware of that. Obviously, my research is lacking already, and I've only asked one question. <laughs> Fantastic. But uh, uh, for those who perhaps don't know, and, I, uh, and uh, you probably wouldn't because Dave is actually quite a sort of uh, – he's not, not, not much of a self-promoter, self-publicist, I think would be fair to say. Sort of behind-the-scenes kind of guy. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. Uh, basically, the, the, the kind of classic sound of Scritty Politi, Cupid and Psych, uh, and uh, the, the subsequent albums is kind of uh, – I, 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 in my own mind, I think it's entirely down to you. I'm sure that's not entirely the case. But, I mean, your kind of keyboard playing and programming and songwriting, I guess, as well, was kind of quite a, heavily influ- a heavy influence at the time. So, um, uh, yeah. Was that I think, fair? I, I, I mean, it was a good collaboration, but certainly the, the, the keyboard, that whole approach to the sound was definitely me. I was reading somewhere, I think it was on the Isotope site, because I was desperately looking for interviews and material so I could actually sound knowledgeable about other stuff, that you, um, because, you you know, you're actually very, you are kind of quite, when I say quite behind the scenes, I mean, there really isn't very much information about, you you know, you you and your work. But the one of the things... Okay, well, that's disheartening. Well... (laughs) Yeah, this we're, we're going some way to work. We're going some way to improve matters. Obviously, this is why you're here. Things are going to change. <laughs> anyway, Dave, um, the one of the things that I found was really interesting uh, on on Cupid and Psych, uh, which is '85, that would kind of predated MIDI and sequencing. Yet the sound of a lot of the album is is really tight and really kind of on the well, you know, right on it. So, well, no, the whole record didn't predate MIDI, but I think with that record took a extraordinarily long time to make so the the first few tracks like that the first few we did with a reef actually was pre-midi but like the msq 700 came out sort of midway through making that record and the dx7 i think came out somewhere in there and then so there was midi it kind of charts the pre-midi to post-midi era right that one spans spans that spans the yeah epoch did it yeah. take, was it, was it, uh, I mean, it sounds like it must have been a very time-consuming record to make. I mean, was that the case? Uh, absolutely, yes. Because also we were, you know, fighting with the technology a lot because um, there just wasn't a lot of ways to do things. Like, simple things like, you know, if you want to punch in a keyboard part in the chorus, there was no way to do that except to start from the beginning of the song. Uh, yes, I noticed you mentioned the Friendship SRC. I mean, we had one of those. Yeah. That was a kind of like, oh, yeah, that really made a difference. That was, hey, you could start the I tape literally still have mine, and it is literally uh, props the door open. Uh, in one of my- but, you know, we take all that stuff for granted, don't we? I mean, it's kind of, I, I remember doing that in the studio, having to go right back to the beginning and rewind, you know, just to kind of overdub a heart, you know, oh, it's crazy, crazy stuff. Yeah. And so, I mean, if you can add up the time just in terms of going back to the beginning of the song and punching in a keyboard part at the end of the song, it's a lot of wasted time. (laughs) Jesus. So uh, I also noticed that uh, that you actually said that it was kind of like recording school for you and Green. You just kind of experimented kind of with the the recording studio and and the technology as a tool. Would would that be a fair assumption? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean... There was no way to do it at home in those days because, you know, the home studio kind of didn't exist. No, of so, course. Uh, it was an expensive recording school. Where did you do, where did you start? Did you do it mostly in the same place or was it at various studios? Yeah, all sorts of different studios, different cities. We did it in New York. We did it in London. Uh, we just, we moved around a lot. 
So were you kind of at the mercy of the uh, of the gear that was around, or did you have a kind of rig that you would take with you that you know was your kind of core keyboard setup? No, I had almost nothing uh, at that point. So we were renting a lot of stuff. Um, you know, it was just uh, we kind of picked up stuff as we went. I always. I didn't even own the Jupiter 8. We always would rent the Jupiter 8 in. It was like we had a PPG in. Uh-huh. Um, we were always renting stuff in because I was broke and I had no gear. So. Wow. And there's a lot of guitar work on there as well that sort of fits in with that. Is that, um, is that something that Green did as well, or was you, were you kind of involved in that part of it? Because it's very, again, very pri- precise and sort of clean. But no, still it was without- all... Uh, on that record, it was almost all Paul Jackson Jr., and all the parts were completely written out. Um, so it wasn't like, oh, we brought somebody in and had them play stuff. It was like um, I actually charted all the arrangements. Wow. So uh, was that some? Is that just the? Is that the way that you had to work because of the way that you were working with electronic music? You kind of pre-sequencing. You had to be very specific about what you were trying to achieve. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Certainly wouldn't have charted it, but. Um, we had done demos, and Arif wanted charts for right. what I had done, so I, so I actually wrote it all out. But I would, I've never done that again. Right. I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have chosen to do that. But, but yeah, I mean, we even wrote out the drum parts. Right. I mean, it was really So was that. it, because I, I was listening, there's quite a lot of drums, certainly in um, Woodbees, which was, I think, was the first track on the album, one of the first. Yeah, and that's Steve Ferroni. And we also had a, it was him playing with a DMX. Because I heard the right. hi-hat's very um, artificial, isn't it? It's kind of, but it's yeah. still also very played. I'm it's getting very Simmons. excited here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love Steve Ferroni and I love the DMX. <laughs> that hi-hat was an overdub and it was a Simmons played by him. Ah, again, it's just sort of really precise. Were you going for that kind of really tight machine-like kind of thing was that what kind of what you aimed absolutely absolutely in fact um you know the first day we actually showed up at the power station and there was like a rhythm section and you know i gave out all the parts and you know we kind of counted it off and hit it and it sounded like a bar band doing (laughs) and it was just horrible and so we basically sent everybody away and then like recorded everything one instrument at a time because i was like you know it just sounded not at all how we were imagining it so Uh, yeah we just we basically put it together piece by piece so was it at this point the record company realized that they were in for signing a lot of checks (laughs) (laughs) for sure (laughs) i mean because we had like you know musicians hanging around the power, all the best musicians hanging around the power station, waiting to play their one little part. <laughs> it was very expensive. I can't imagine. I mean, it's amazing because the the previous work that uh, Scrappy Polity had done was actually quite acoustic and sort of bandy. So I could imagine they would sort of, hey, we'll just get you. You can understand where the the intentions were probably good, but um, perhaps not the result. Yeah, it was like- yeah, it was a completely different approach. So did you did you get a lot of support from the label when they started to hear the kind of stuff that was coming out, or were they kind of not sure about it? I mean, how did how did you kind of keep that relationship going as well, just out of interest? I mean, that's, that's the other thing that was – it was so different because it was a period when um, the indie scene had gained a lot of power. So we were given just an amazing amount of freedom. I mean, there really was no label around. Wow. Yeah. I that mean, is... we really were basically given, you know, go to record this. I don't think we played them anything until it was done. <laughs> nice. Yeah. I mean, there's just no way you would be able to do that anymore. Did you find that that actually increased the pressure or, or kind of let you do what you wanted to do? Because obviously, you know, you wanted it to be absolutely, you know, jaw-droppingly amazing, which I'd imagine for the time, you know, it certainly was. I don't think you could have. I think we had enough pressure from ourselves. I don't think we were just trying to do uh, as best as we could. I don't think I wasn't even aware of the label or anything. I I actually really didn't even know anything about it. I didn't even know about, you know, that there were different formats at that point. Right. You know, like rock and pop and R&B. I didn't didn't even occur to me. (laughs) <laughs> excellent uh, the other thing that i was interested in is obviously you know during this time a lot of gut stuff was coming out like you say you know so midi came out the msq 700 and also the uh the dx7 i mean did you find that 
you had to be really careful because obviously there's something new, like the DX7 coming out, is that was such a totally different brittle sound to kind of what everything had gone before it. Did you find that you were you had to kind of keep yourselves under control with just sort of going crazy with a new piece of well, kit as it arrived? I think if you listen to the record, you realize, no, I didn't keep myself under control. <laughs> Especially not with the DX7. Uh, no, I, that DX7 like completely blew my mind. I just loved that. I just hadn't heard anything like that. That was so, it was so, you know, all that sparkle and the presence on it. It just was like, man, it just, there was nothing like it until that came along. And it was just an amazing sound. Did you find that yourself? I wore out. Well, no, I think I defined. I think I would use. I defi- I think de- defined would be the word I would use. And also because you didn't, you didn't use the uh, sparkly roads. At least not uh, uh, immediately, obviously, as uh, uh, as I can tell. Anyway, and there's a lot yeah, of that's really. That's the one thing I didn't do. Yeah, well, there you go. Did you use log drum? <laughs> I, log drum might have been in there once. Maybe I must have. <laughs> but did you program much stuff for it as well? Because I mean, that would have been yeah, completely unknown. Gee, I mean, yeah, and it was, yeah, it was just a question, you know, you'd mess around and hopefully you'd find something that would, you know, I could use somewhere. But, um, yeah, it was not an easy thing to program, that's for sure. I'm, I'm wondering, I mean, did you find that, um, I mean, because it's totally unintuitive, isn't it? I mean, you do something and you, you sort of, if you think coming at it from an analogue perspective, I mean, you just, it just means nothing, does it? I mean, it's kind of, you, t- you tweet one parameter and the whole sound goes completely crazy and doesn't really get, ever come back. And plus the... Yeah. Uh, the size of the yeah, display. you can't kind of go in, well, at least I could never go in thinking, oh, I want to make this sound and end up there. So you, you would just find yourself kind of, would you find yourself just exploring it and then going, hey, we can use that? Yeah, pretty much. And I, there were certain sounds that I would, I used it mixed in with other things a lot because I guess I never realized, but probably the, the MIDI on it was pretty good in terms of timing. Right. So especially as compared to a lot of the analog synths. So a lot of times I would use it mixed in with other stuff as the attack on an analog sound because I think the MIDI timing was just better, so it felt better. Well, that's so interesting. So I would use it a lot for that. Well, that's interesting because I think when I was looking back at the article on the Isotope, you kind of say that um, compared to the analog timing, MIDI was a bit sloppy. So it's kind of an interesting point you made there. Is, it just, is that just because – or did I read that wrongly? Yeah, I was – I meant – CVs and gates, uh, as opposed to MIDI. Right. Uh, you know, like the old analog sequencers, yeah. rather than MIDI sequencers, which were really sloppy. But then that was something we were always fighting with. It. But the the MIDI on a lot of those early analog synths, like the like the Jupiter, it was real sloppy, and we'd have to use a you know MIDI to DCB converter. I remember, and it was like you know it was just the, the timing wasn't great on a lot of those things. Well, that's that I think must the have been PPG a... was really late, right? As I recall, that must have been a nightmare because of the you know because of the tightness you were going for. Did because I also read somewhere that you used to slow the tapes down and play, uh, you yeah. Know, play. Were you did, were you using that technique for for this album? No, that was sort of before sequencers. Uh, I was doing that because uh, I wanted to make it sound like it was sequenced. So right, okay, ah, fascinating. Fascinating stuff. I could go on talking about this forever because it's just... Uh, the, I was listening back to some of the tracks on Absolute and obviously there's there's a lot of the kind of your era stuff on there, but there's also some pre-stuff. But the the, the kind yeah. of Cupid and Psych and uh, the, the later albums just really kind of still sound really fresh. A lot of 80s stuff can sound, you know, like really dated. And even though there's very much a sound of the time, it's got something about it. There's an atmosphere and um, sort of craftsmanship to it that just stands out you know manages to kind of last last the course time did you find that going back to this release um which is available at itunes uh and all good stores uh, certainly in europe at the moment uh, that um you were kind of it was bringing back sort of certain methods and things that you were thinking oh actually i could maybe consider using these sort of things again in stuff that you're currently working on uh hell no because <laughs> <laughs> i mean you know i wouldn't want to go back to Having to jump through, I mean, it's just so much easier and you can do so much more and manipulate so much better now that it's not like I would ever want to go back to doing that. But having said that, there are certain things on there like I do listen to would-be's and Absolute and I do think those do still sound pretty good to me. Yeah. So 
Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, I suppose. I mean, because it's like the same thing, you know, it's uh, obviously there's a continuous cycling of, of technology with music, certainly with music production, that you can, uh, you know, you, you put something away, it sort of eventually ends up at the back of a room or in storage or sold, and then you hear it again, you think, actually, that might have something useful. You know, like the DX, I mean, I'm, I'm still convinced that FM and the DX7, if somebody could write a decent front end to it, it would it would you know really shine because it's just such a powerful synthesis method that practically nobody understands. Yeah, no, I know, but I I kind of thought it had a bit of a resurgence lately. Um, those sounds, but mm. I could be wrong. No, that, that, I, I take your point. I mean, there's the new uh, the Korg Kronos has got a, a, a sort of well, they say an acceptable face of FM uh, synthesis in it. They've tried to make it in a kind of more analogous 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 sort of way so it makes it easier to to work with so i don't, I don't know whether that's the case or not but uh, we shall see yeah. um I, I guess gosh gosh time's marching on i could go on for ages i'm guessing uh, our guests are probably uh, i hope you i hope you're all still there and i haven't yeah. n- nobody's dropped off um i'm off i don't mean sleeping obviously because this is fascinating stuff i mean uh, dropped off the line yes i can see you all there rich you said you had a lot of questions to ask so I'm gonna I'm gonna open the floor to you if that's all right with you, Dave. <laughs> yeah, they've all evap- Have I asked them all? Well, they've sort of evaporated, except a couple of comments on what Dave said. I think that the appearance of FM synthesis in the DX7 was also really well suited to the MIDI sequencing of the time because one of the best things about what it did was attack well. It it had yes. very sharp For and sure. bright attacks, and so it yes. became very easy to coordinate your syncing which was not easy yeah. at all in those days because every single instrument had a different amount, as you point out, of uh, MIDI delay. Uh, and, what yeah, our solution, uh, and what our solution to that was, was the first pass was run, uh, the first uh, sync pass from FSK was run through a 100 millisecond delay. And that way I could work either side of the beat with subsequent printing passes. <laughs> you, follow, you follow what I'm saying? Smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. If you dug yourself in too short, like things like the emulator two delayed almost sixty milliseconds. So if you dug yourself in too short in that delay, it w- you would get stuck with an instrument that wouldn't line up. So if I gave myself a good hundred milliseconds on the first print, then I could then all subsequent printing took place through the delay, and I would adjust the delay according you know until we got this particular instrument in sync, and we'd print it. That is a sweet, Where were you when we were recording? That's a sweet idea. <laughs> <laughs> I was in uh, well, New York, in Queens, well, actually. I, you know? The SRC did allow you to actually do offsets. Oh, yeah, no, it did, didn't it? Yeah. But, um, but before that, yeah, that would have been... That you know, this bad. was 83. I'm, I'm talking 83, 84. Yeah. Ah. Yeah. Gaz, um, I just noticed in the chat room you said you're still kicking yourself for missing a DX5 in a junk shop for 99 quid. Tell me that was 100 years ago. <laughs> Uh, it was it was about seven or eight years ago. Oh, but, um, well, that's sort of acceptable. Mm. Only barely, mind. There's a DX. There was a, <laughs> was a DX five or a DX one when I went to Yamaha HQ in the summer last year. It was uh, and it was just such a beautiful thing. I mean, a massive expanse of front panel with actually very little on it apart from a load of diagrams. Mm. <laughs> what was the DX five? Was that bigger or smaller? It was big. Yeah, it was. It was yeah. like a D- uh, DX one. Yeah, yeah, it had loads of controls on it, didn't it? The DX5. I can't remember. Um, it had a lot of faders, didn't it? That's all it. Ever, it. Oh, and, was yeah. that the one with the weighted keyboard? Yeah, it was like a big, oh, D- yeah. big fat DX7. Yeah, really I huge, do remember yeah. that. I, w- yeah. I, I would like to get some FM back in my life. I, I did have a TX7 mm. for quite a long time, and I was one of those people that used to collect um, patches via MIDI. You know, I had countless yeah. floppy disks with Makes millions sense. of them. Me too. Me I too. still have my TX-816, actually. Ah, really? Wow. Yeah. That thing sounded good. I mean, for FM, it sounded really good. Was that the one which was the rack, or was that was that the multiple? No, yeah, it was a rack of eight. Ooh. Oh, oh that one. Was that single voices, yeah. or eight, eight? They all had 16 voices. No, it was basically eight DX7s in a rack. Ooh. You Ooh. must have been... I mean, because this is the other thing I was going to ask you. I mean, because after that album came out, you must have been... Your phone must have been ringing off the hook. Can you do that for us? Can you? How do you do it? You know, they must have. They, you must have been kind of dodging. Well, that's one of those. I always say it's one of those. It's a double-edged short because there was a few years where people were like, "Oh yeah, give us that scritty thing, give us that scritty thing," and then you kind of do that, and then people are like, "That's all he does." <laughs> yeah. You know? Well, it's plainly it's plainly not all you do. Listening to all your other work, but yeah, I can imagine that's. That but then it was like years to prove. Oh well, no, I can actually do some other stuff too. Yeah. So. 
it's a it's always a tricky one because if you get known for some one thing, it's really tricky because people are always asking you for that, and then it, that can kind of bury you too. All right, All I have a question. Okay, did Rich. the record company did the record company gig encourage them in that direction, or was it, did it broaden your ability to work outside of that? Uh, wait, what do you mean? Because uh, you were house producer well, a, for Warner uh, Brothers, right? For, right, for right. You were producing yes. regularly By for a particular point, company for a while. Yeah, and that by that point it was uh, I started at Warner's in the in ninety. So by that point it was that was kind of over. Right. So. Oh, good. Uh, yeah, but um, yeah, it was like the it was the couple of years after eighty five that it was like yeah to give us that scritty thing. So. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. No. And I, I think we even got caught up in that and on provision, which was the record that followed Cupid and Psyche, because everybody was like, oh yeah, just give us that again. Right. That's what we're. That's what we're. Uh-huh. Everybody's waiting for, and I think that kind of got in our head too. Yeah, I can imagine the pressure because it's so stylistically kind of pure in a way that you know you have to. You had some pretty major. If you're not going to go down that path, you've got some fairly major reinvention to to kind of get that same buzz, I guess, about what you were doing. Yeah, and it was. Yeah, there was definitely felt much more pressure after the Cuban psyche to yeah. like, oh, come up with that stuff again. By the way, I have to say one thing about Nile, though, which is that, um, you know, really early on, he actually did a remix of um, Small Talk, a very early version of that, which is on Cupid Psyche. And I got to say, I learned more from sitting in the back of the room watching him kind of go through tracks than probably anyone I've ever been in the studio with. Yeah. Cool. Wow, that's cool. God, uh, imagine getting a remix and actually being there at the same time. That's like. I, that's amazing. Fantastic. It really was one of the great early experiences I ever had because it was like it was like watching the master. <laughs> yeah, well. Fantastic. Uh, and that's great. That's great. He was using a synclavier, no doubt. No, th- no, because it was actually all on tape. So it was simply um, he was just kind of going through the tracks and deciding what was in and what was out. And it was just it was really as simple as that. But it was really a great experience. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Fantastic. Well, uh, while we're on the subject of Yamaha, I feel it's probably about time that I uh, welcome our show sponsors. You see how smooth that was there? Although I I missed it by a couple of minutes, didn't I? Mm -hmm. But uh, Yamaha, of course, are the show sponsors, and we thoroughly welcome and... uh, and appreciate their continued support of the show. Uh, they're talking about mixers, because as we know, Yamaha make a whole ton of mixers. They've got big digital consoles. In fact, this show goes through the Yamaha DM1000, which is brilliant for what for my needs. Uh, they also make uh, large format analog consoles, uh, which are used in touring rigs for a long time. Uh, but this week, they're going to talk about the MG series. It's a lineup of 12 different models from 8-channel to 32-channel. Uh, the latest generation of MG mixers contain handy and unique features, such as single non-compressor, which can help tighten up the sound in rehearsals or recording in a rush. Uh, Yamaha effects processing can also help reduce the load on uh, host computer. Uh, so Several of the mixers can also be used with integrated USB audio interfaces, 44K1, uh, so you can record gig or rehearsal. Uh, USB models also come shipped with Cubase AI5. So if you're in the UK, head along to a Pulse store. You can find these on yamahadownload.com, uh, and they're like store within a store. Feel the construction quality, pass some stuff through, check them out, take a listen. Also in the U- US, I'm sure that you can have the same, a similar experience if you find the kind of right store, which has got a, kind of, a good Yamaha presence. And if you're interested in some of the higher-end O-series and, and that sort of things, head to yamahaproaudio.com. So once again, we thank Yamaha for their continued sponsorship of the show. I'm uh, actually a Steinberg user. Oh, really? So, yeah. So you're the guy. <laughs> do you so what? No, do you, do you have Yamaha plug away? No, not at all. What are you? Are you? Um, are you kind of instrumental in kind of uh, helping them? You know, develop features and what for it? Because I imagine you must be a sort of one of the major power users they have. Yeah, no, I have no relationship there. Oh, okay, is there any particular reason you chose to, you, you work with Cubase, or is it just it's just a natural progression thing? Nuendo. Ah, yeah, of course. Because that for um, audio editing is, you know, for certainly for a long time was like the the thing, wasn't it? Actually, I I really like the program. It's it's a kind of a frustrating program because there's so much of it that I love, and then there's some of it that just sort of never gets fixed. So it's weird. It's <laughs> yeah. How about that? How about Still? that? I think. <laughs> 
that's just the way it goes. I, I, anybody else, uh, Mark? Have you got anything uh, uh, to add before we sort of move on, perhaps to other topics, or should we just jump right in? I think you've just asked most of the questions I would have asked. Uh, I might Fantastic. add that uh, in about 1982 or three, I used to use a Roland SPX80 for syncing everything up, Ooh. and then we used to um, work out where the drums were. So what the offsets were and the various different samplers that we were using. So I think that was like yeah, I had one of those too. And then we draw on the two-inch tape, which was sixteen-track two-inch tape, I think. And we'd sort of spin it back and rock the reels back and forth and work out where a kick was and draw a big line, <laughs> and then work out where a snare was and draw a big line, and then work out what the offsets were between the things and what they should be for the tempo, and then re-record everything. Oh my okay. god! That brings the offset. That definitely the brings back memories. I can't. It's just blowing my mind. I can't believe we used to go through this stuff. I know. Jesus. Oh, hours and hours. Yeah, hours and hours and hours at a time. massive hourly and daily rate. So the pressure was enormous, wasn't it? I mean, it's just a sort of. <laughs> Right. So when you ask, do you want to, do you miss those times? No. Well, I, I sort of meant really the sounds that some of the technology produced really more than anything else. I wasn't kind of implying that you'd like to go back to waiting for the tape to rewind. Although it's nice to get a break once in a while, obviously, but you know. It's funny because I actually, I don't feel um, like, oh, I miss those sounds. I mean, I'm actually in the box and happy. Okay, yeah. is that, that? I mean, I'm guessing, you know, that you you that so that's pretty much it. Do you have not have any kind of analog hardware sort of from the synth angle going anymore? Or are you pretty much inside totally? Some some of that stuff's in the garage, but I really don't use it. Yeah, it's so. interesting. I think that's. What about you guys? What about you guys? Do you use it? Um. I've got it. I, what I use mine for is a backdrop to my reviews. To it's as I've said before, it's my qualifications that I have in the background there. <laughs> but I do sometimes, but no, not not very often, to be perfectly honest. But I work with a band that do a lot, and they just kind of jam stuff out that way. Because that's been, always been the issue with with working in the box, is it's, it's not a very, um, uh, what's the word, intuitive experience. I mean, it's not the sort of thing that you can just kind of wig out with and kind of generate a load of freeform stuff as easily anyway. Unless you've got, have you right. got? Some, I but you, that's right. but you. I mean, you were saying. I also read that you use MIDI controller stuff. I and mean, what MIDI controllers do you use? And do you have a working methodology, or are you like the rest of us and just map everything to the pitch bend wheel? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> or I draw it in, you know. Right. Okay. The sequencer. Right. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, that's true. That's not. That is the. That's the dilemma. I guess it's not as hands on. You can't just grab knobs and turn them. But I guess I don't do a lot of that. Right. So what? I mean, what we'll is your? What back, is? Your... We'll get back to that though. I, I think yeah, I think we so. See more touchscreen interfaces now. More of that kind yeah. of. Yeah. What? So what is your kind of role these days? Because you've been producing. I mean, what's what sort of stuff you've been songwriting? What are you currently working on? What's your kind of daily? It, I kind of more focused on the songwriting thing, and the production comes out of that these days. Uh, I used to do more, like producing other people's songs and stuff and i really don't do so much of that anymore mainly because uh it just doesn't kind of pay to do that anymore if i'm not a songwriter on stuff it kind of um you know production fees have dwindled and so i kind of focused on the writing thing at this point yeah no that makes perfect sense perfect sense that's why i haven't got any work then (laughs) (laughs) damn it So um, uh, we should probably cover a couple of topics. I mean, one thing that was we can't escape is obviously the introduction of a new range of MacBook and MacBook Pros, uh, which has uh, been Mm. quite an exciting, certainly exciting time in my life. Certainly, if I could afford any of it. But uh, just quickly to uh, run through them, we've got some. The MacBook Pros are the new range. They've got the uh, but but the real beef happens in the 15 inches. They've got quad i7s, which are the Sandy Bridge processors, which basically means I think they have this hyper threading, which kind of doubles up you get virtual cores so you could get up to eight cores out of these things you know in virtual terms which basically makes it about just the same. one little reality check though okay yeah because there is basically it's they got a quad core now right yeah because i've i've had a quad core pc laptop for a year well that's true with an i7 really so just reality check yeah right right and <laughs> and there's with the last mac uh series had a quad core at the top end did it yeah. Oh, I must have missed one. 
Oh, well, I got too excited. I, I mean, I think maybe it, maybe my it's, son's got one. <laughs> maybe it's the addition of the Thunderbolt and p- the potential, anyway, of, of the Thunderbolt, which is the kind of new um, data bus that runs ten gigabytes gigabytes per second, and also the fact that they've all put these new um, uh, graphics processors from uh, uh, AMD, which actually is starting to because we're starting to see that uh, graphics processors are being used as offloading for math intensive purposes you know certainly for graphics and video processing possibly also audio processing in the future and these cards allow for that sort of integration that's kind of interesting too um, yep. which kind of makes it you know because uh, there is because uh, graphics processors are traditionally just super fast obviously they have to be uh, more so because we're looking at you know high frame rates large screen resolutions all of that sort of thing and that's kind of, that's what I find kind of interesting. I mean, whether or not it's Mac or PC, I guess it doesn't really matter. But the fact that that this that we're starting to see that being utilised is an exciting thing to me. And also the Thunderbolt thing that is exciting because the idea of being able to just plug pretty much whatever into a laptop rather than junk up you know a huge uh, desktop around. Do you work purely on laptops, Dave, or you do you kind of have desktop machines as well? Yeah, I have. Oh, I kind of have my little mobile rig that i can do a writing session on and stuff but i I mostly have a um i actually have one of those the newer i7 the the six core desktop machine that's uh, sort of my main rig all right okay so. uh, and i'm guessing you're not running out of any uh, stuff soon do you, i mean do you find that uh that you you want to use pro tools for the latency thing or have you figured out ways of working around that uh yeah i figured out ways of to work around that um i did actually just got pro tools 9 i haven't used pro tools in years but i did just actually rebuy that <laughs> just uh, to sort of play with it again. yeah no i haven't i haven't checked that out yet but uh, i think it's probably gonna it's gonna be interesting but there's such such stuff moving along at the moment anyway um guys anybody uh Dave, I mean, I, I have my machine still feels like it's only kind of 18 months old so there's absolutely no reason for me to upgrade Anybody kind of uh, feel they have to? Can, have you got a reason? Can you, or an excuse even? Rich, <laughs> what to the la- on the laptop? Yeah. I uh, no, I don't have a specific reason. But if I could uh, convince somebody else to upgrade, I might end up with his old one. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the way it can work. <laughs> but I don't really need. You know what? My need for a laptop these days is less and less. Uh, right. Carrying around the iPad is good for about 80% of the things I used to do on a, on a laptop and there's not that many times I need to do that other 20%. But I like how, you know, right now uh, my laptop is working great and I have no complaints and so temptation is to leave it alone. Mm. I don't know, I'm tempted. I just like the idea of being able to kind of well, I suppose work when I'm at home, even doing video editing, because, you know, we do a lot of video HD editing for the reviews and stuff that we do. I guess it's more for that. But, I mean, people were talking right. about the, the amount of sort of recording that you could do with this thing. I mean, just kind of, it would be unnecessary almost. You know, you don't, how, many, how many simultaneous tracks of record do you need, and would there be a disc even fast enough to actually accommodate that? Oh, now, now hold on a second there, Bob Louie. Now that you've got Pro Tools 9 able to run natively, uh, HD sessions that you've brought along with you on the plane on an external FireWire drive or whatever technology they, they have drives at in six months. Um, being able to do that on a fork, on a quad core laptop with a bunch of RAM, uh, you, you, you know, you could run some pretty big sessions that way. And yeah. uh, it's not necessarily, I mean, no, you wouldn't necessarily record 64 voice sessions to the thing in real time, but you can. I can see the value for a music editor, and especially, as I say, with the way they've liberated Pro Tools from the hardware now. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I think you're right. It's about editing that rather than recording. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, editing large sessions, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's mm. amazing you can do that now. I mean, for us longtime Pro Tools users, it's like somebody's taken off the jacket. You know, it's <laughs> like, wow. I, I mean, I've been here at home running. I've run Pro Tools 9 in every size, shape, and configuration already. I've got, you know, the HD rig at Niles House, and I've got uh, what used to be LE rigs here, but, I mean, I've run it through my Mbox 2. I've run it through my Apogee Duet. I've run it natively, both on the laptop and on the desktop that's in front of me, and it runs – it's it's a fantastic – it's it's cool. <laughs> Being able to do that is cool. Playing, playing Pro Tools out of my Apogee. Yeah, oh, yeah. 
Absolutely. Well, the Apogee are the first to announce that they're going to be doing some uh, Thunderbolt interfacing stuff. I mean, that's the thing. There's just nothing at all out there at the moment. Dave Spears, you're going to have to get one of these. I don't know. It's weird actually because on the day it was announced, we were discussing Lion, and I was saying. Yeah, the thing is with Lion, we'll need another computer to run it on and no doubt it'll need, uh, you know, eight terabytes of RAM in order to run it and blah, blah, blah. And then this came out. The Thunderbolt's quite interesting, uh, although I'm waiting for version two, which is obviously going to be unlightning, very, very frightening indeed. (laughs) (laughs) Followed by Galileo. (laughs) Yeah, if they're going to follow the thread, you know, if we're going to go through the big cats, we should actually go through the whole of uh, uh, Bohemian Rhapsody perhaps as well yeah you're right <laughs> yeah so maybe but i mean they're pricey at the minute and my laptop's only about a year old so. yeah i know i can't think of a reason why. but the pro- that's the problem we have is like you know i've got a work system where i work with other people i've got the development system i've got a testing system and now we're looking at lines so it's like oh another computer just to try and keep everything separate yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fun and go. Okay, well, uh, anybody else got anything to add, or should we move on to the extracting hit and miss software, which uh, is kind of an interesting um, thing? And it's PC only, you'll be pleased to know. I'll play something. Oh. This is our new audio product, Hit and Mix. It takes a song and splits it down into its individual components, so you can hear, for example, the guitar, voice, or drums separately, and then you can do with them what you will. We've taken the BBC News theme and we've messed around with it. You take an MP3 and it shows you what it's doing. At the moment it's ripping out the bass part and then there's the violin part, the cello and the beeps and finally the drums. And then it puts them all together into the rip file. And here what you can see is all the instruments going across the screen in time and the higher up they are, the higher in pitch they are. If I click on this note here, you can hear the beep. Or down here, you can hear a bass note. Yeah. One thing you could do, for example, Just is take this note and copy, right. paste it there. Paste you hear a bass note and a whole lot of other shit. Yeah. But, you know, nonetheless, I mean, I, I checked out the website. Um, this is uh, Hit and Mix software from a company called Neurotron, who actually do quite a lot of OCR and uh, audio to score stuff. I mean, those seem to be their other products. So they're obviously into data analysis and what have you. And you look at the display of the software, and it's, it's very much like a, a spectrogram kind of thing, sort of like the, a cross between the Melodyne DNA thing and some of the isotope um, stuff, you know, display stuff. But it just it looked like they got a News 24, for God's sake. That's kind of impressive. Uh, it says at the, the top line, tears apart MP3 CD tracks and unlocks their basic building blocks. Uh, blah, 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 blah. There's lots of stuff. Uh, basically, you can buy the main thing. Mind you, I, the, the ideal configuration for the computer is 4 gigs of RAM, a quad-core or higher processor, and it's XP Vista and 7 only for now. Something useful? I mean, I, I don't know. Um, d- d- could it be a sort of poor man's bit of Melodyne DNA kind of going on there? I mean, it must have some, something along the same lines as the core technology behind there. Yeah, how much is it? 80, 80 pounds. Oh, wow. So, you know. That's a bargain, then. Seems cheap. And it'll do... Uh, uh, mind you, uh, it's pull, it ripped from MP3s, which kind of is a horrible concept. I, 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 yeah, but anyway. Uh, if you rip from MP3s, MP3s are already broken up into different bands anyway. There's like 13 different frequency bands in an MP3 anyway, I think. That's how that's how they work. So if it's just literally taking each of those different frequency bands and analysing them for content, it's not going to do anything like what Isotope can do. Ah. Well, it can't be doing it by frequency because it's actually... It can just do drums and just do bass. Drums are, you know... Well, it's some, it's, some, it's some kind of analysis, isn't it? I mean, it's got something going on there. But it's just um, I, it, it, after the DNA thing, I mean, I don't know. Do you, do you use that stuff at all, uh, Dave? Well, that's what I was trying to ask is how much success everyone else has had with that because, um, you know, I haven't had a lot of success with that sounding terribly good. Hmm, I, I do know. use it to play with some stuff, and I kind of have come up with some interesting things. But when I saw... You know, the demo of it, I thought, oh, my God, this is amazing because I can make anything and make any chord out of it and I can take sound. And, you know, for that, it doesn't work terribly well. Right. I don't know, Rich, you, you probably had more time playing with it than anybody else. Would that be fair to say? 
Yeah, I dare say I've gotten it to work terribly well. Okay. Really? Okay. Yeah. Good. There's in hope. more than one circumstance, and but and this thing looks absolutely no different. By the way, uh, I hear multiple sounds ganged up on individual pitches. It doesn't recognize timbral holes out of a single pitch. When you when you click on a pitch that's being shared across a number of instruments, you will get the sound of a number of oh, instruments yeah, yeah. on that blob. Oh, okay. and, and in that way, it's the same as Melodyne Editor, at least in what I saw in their video. I haven't used the thing. But as it relates to uh, Melodyne Editor and successful use of it, I can give you two brief stories. There's about to come out a uh, song that we've recently mixed, and Niall's been previewing it on his blog. But um, it's a collaboration between Sheik and Cool and the Gang. And in the original tracks that arrived from Cool and the Gang, there was this 12-string strumming thing that played basically one chord that was the five chord of the song all the way through, all the changes. <laughs> and I guess, somebody, I guess somebody liked it that much. They dug the rhythm, but they, you know, and they were willing to accept whatever harmonic, uh, uh, I don't know, yeah. you know, uh, yeah, yeah. pedal tones were going to result from. So uh, one of the first tasks given to me was uh, once we arrived at a workable harmony for the song was to conform that to the harmony of the song. And I found it quite easy to do on a single polyphonic strummed instrument. Uh, you know, recorded to its own monophonic or even stereo track. So that was one case in which it came through like a champ and people were like, wow. And then another one was recently I had video, uh, which had all these really uh, bounced down submixes to the point where all my vocals, leads and backgrounds are on one track. And it's a nice. live video. And so uh, I was able to successfully use Melodyne Editor on that one track to put those vocals, uh, in certain cases, a little closer to the pitches that they were going for. <laughs> and uh, very diplomatically put. <laughs> and it worked out really well. I mean, yes, are there artifacts? Absolutely. If I play it for you in solo and show it to you, you'll go, wow. You know, but if you watch it in the context of what's going by, generally speaking, unless you're one of, you know, the few people who actually operate this stuff, you won't mind it. Hmm. It'll just sound like good singing to you. And I guess, are you, uh, is this something that you would, uh, you would experiment with? I mean, 80 quid, it's got to be, I don't know how much Melodyne is, it's about five, 500 notes, isn't it? Or eight, no, more than that, actually, in fact. Yeah, I mean, I, I was a bit intrigued by sort of the, um, how you actually edited it, watching the, only, I've only seen the video that, that, yeah. that was on the, the BBC site. Uh, it looked a little bit strange. I mean, I couldn't work out how did you pitch notes, how did you kind of, I, didn't, I couldn't quite work it out. I didn't know if it was the same method as Melodyne. Um, it's probably not, mean, as, not as much gone on the interface, I'd imagine. It's a much cheaper product. Right, yeah, because I mean, like the you know the Melodyne thing. Once you actually get the way to edit it, you know, I mean, it's uh, it's a pretty cool it's a pretty cool way of working. So if it's anything similar to that, then yeah, I'd like to give it a try. I mean, but uh, you know, I do like mischievous kind of things, and I think that would you know, I really like the idea of just having a messing around with it and just doing naughty things. <laughs> yes, didn't um, you? Uh, did, wasn't there a story about you playing something for a friend? I seem to remember that you recounted an email that I was hoping you would uh, share with us live. Uh, oh, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 was, uh, that was a few years ago is when the Pet Sounds box set came out and there was, um, you had different CDs and on one of the CDs was the acapellas and on another CD there was like the backing tracks and uh, just out of interest I thought I wonder are, are these going to line up and they, they just lined up perfectly so I, I thought oh that's 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 interesting and then I just had a, an idea and I, and I took the song God Only Knows and I just um, I just detuned a couple of the words made them really sour just in a few places <laughs> and then I made it actually progressively worse as it went on and then I burnt the CD and I put it in my kind of uh pet sounds case and then and then just sort of some friends came around and i just sort of manipulated the situation so we were talking <laughs> we were talking about <laughs> we were talking about sort of like you know oh, what's the best beach boy song and and my friend andy was going oh it's god only knows it's the most genius song ever and i was like right yeah it's a good song but the out of tune singing on it just really ruins it for me and he was just going you what? There's no, no. I said, no, it's, you know, once you notice it, I don't really want to show you because, you know, you, you won't like it anymore. <laughs> so <laughs> he goes, go on, you have to put it on. And I had the CD, the CDR in the case of the pet sounds there. So I just went and made sure he didn't see it, it was a CDR going into the, into the CD player. And then, uh, you know, it's playing. I may not always love you as long as there are stars above you. <laughs> you know, and uh, I was like, oh, 
Oh, yeah, but it was, and then it just got worse as the song went on, and then he kind of rumbled it, but he was really cross with me, you know, <laughs> for trying to sabotage his wonderful song there. So, yes, so I mean, that's the kind of stupid thing I like to do. So, um, <laughs> that sounds like an evening well spent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah, it's kind so of the op- back- it's, it's like the opposite of the A&R button or fader, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, so it's just uh, so you know. Obviously, you know, it's, this is the top my topic really of the of the week. This is quag. Uh, I'm a bit of a quag. Well, they call me the quag master general, really. So that's um, right. Okay, is that from you? Hmm. Create you create quag notes from good notes, or <laughs> or the other well, way? Well, no. Yeah, I tend to create quags when I don't mean to. But um, but yeah, but uh, yeah. So, but coming back to that piece of software, you know, I mean. Or, you know, if you could actually sort of just mess with songs like that, I think that would be really good fun. You know, a, li- a little bit like uh, the the shreds on, um, you could do kind of cool things on, and put the videos on YouTube, you know, and just... Oh, uh, yeah, like those fantastic... They're, they're all gone now. I think we covered it a, a number of um, episodes ago. I don't know, Dave Gamson, yeah. if you've ever seen those. They're these brilliant... This this guy who's a, he's a I think he's Spanish or certainly um mid, mid you know, Southern European and he does stuff like he takes um, video performances of Steve Vai or um, who's the um, uh, oh I have seen them they're I just, great I, there's one particular <laughs> one where it's I, I forget the name of the uh, Yingri Malmsteen where he's he's playing with the Japanese Philharmonic Orchestra and honestly he's it's when you look at it it's it looks but with the soundtrack he's put it's so pompous. And, I haven't uh, seen but that it's just one. I've it's, seen the Steam Vi ones. I've seen the Santana ones. No, Malmsteam really Steam had it had it removed, and, it, and it's not surprising because it was almost believable. It was such a fantastic <laughs> parody, <laughs> and it was and because of, it was even better because of the pomp and the circumstance of the event that it was played so badly. <laughs> but it's it's, <laughs> it's brilliant work. Did, did I do you wonder this? on this oh. on the software like Melodyne or the software. In terms of licensing, let's say you take a sample of of a record and you change all the harmonic content. Um, is it? I mean, what is, is it that? still yours? Sure. <laughs> I just don't know what that means in terms of licensing. Is that like a sample still? Is it just, I don't. Well, it would have to be because it was well, from the original recording, surely. What is changing all the harmonic content amount to adding EQ or changing the formats or something? No, I mean actually changing, changing the the, the, the chords. Yeah. Oh, I see. Like, yeah, you mean from within one of these programs? I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Good question. I guess it would make it unrecognizable, but <laughs> well, certainly like to a jury to of our Beatles. peers, it would. Mm. Mark, I'd sorry. like to do the Beatles. I'd like to get some of the Beatles sadder songs and make them happy, and some of the happier ones and make <laughs> them sad, just to mess with people because people know those songs so unbelievably well. Like an entire generations of people know those songs unbelievably well. So to have one of those that just did something totally unexpected would really mm. throw well you could do it quite well with those because the, the yeah. old four track recordings are quite separate so you could probably be quite um devious <laughs> devious what's, with what's that. the difference between melodyne uh the multi-track version of it i suppose this is a question for rich and isotope what is the difference between those two programs uh, which isotope program are you talking about i mean oh, isotope the, is the most recent the one, oh, well, the, the one where you get the spectrograph and you can isolate yes, exactly. individual and things. Can draw things. Well, the, the kinds things. of the, certainly the kinds of displays you get are different. But speci- you're asking specifically about a multi-track version of Melodyne, and what sets that apart from their current uh, plugin editor is that you can show multiple tracks of of stuff on the same screen, which to me is incredibly useful, especially when I'm working with background vocals. Um, so, so in other words, stuff sourced from multiple tracks and bounced to multiple tracks of Melodyne can appear on a single screen overlaid and you can manipulate, you can switch between them right there on screen. So from oh, a workflow, oh, now you've blown my mind completely <laughs> from a workflow. Yeah, it's amazing. So from a workflow standpoint, that speaks to the Melodyne studio product that predated the current Melodyne editor with DNA. The Melodyne editor with DNA, I think, tends to be on a track-by-track basis. Certainly, that's how I use it. I use it as an RTAS plugin. Oh, so you can but, do it. It's uh, like onion skinning in animation almost. How do you mean? Well, where you get to see the kind of next frame over the previous frame. You can change something so you can see where it relates to what was. that kind Yeah, of thing. yeah, 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 absolutely. And, wow. and in Melodyne Studio, you can, and that's really great. Now, as re- Isotope RX2... 
Spectral analysis provides you with a completely different visual representation that's more in line with something like Cedar and what I saw the guys from Harmonix yeah, doing yeah. for the rock band right. stuff. And um, it's more of this like pastel, you know, impressionist painting where, um, where, uh, shall we, oh, let's see, uh, vertical placement represents pitch and horizontal placement represents time. And it, it's, it's displaying it completely differently. And, it, and it's, it would be very difficult, I think, to do melodyne like behavior in an RX2 like interface. However, RX2 is probably going to be better for surgically removing things that you right, want right, to remove right, right, okay. than would Melodyne be. Then, then, yeah, then changing Melodic because it's got no... The, 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 the scaling and quantizing is not designed for that, I guess. But again, it's much more... Uh, Isotopes Pro, uh, RX2 is much more like the kind of process I saw the guys from Harmonics using with Cedar in order to extract individual instruments from monophonic Beatles recordings, for example then it's that kind of display rather than Melodyne, which is famous for their blobs and is not dissimilar from this one that this whole topic right, has started. I haven't used RX, but it, does it, it actually does that well in terms of extracting a they, single part. You should go look at the demos on their website. It's really, it's incredible. It will not only identify pitches, it will identify the entire harmonic spectrum from that one thing. Mm. All right, I got to check it out. Dave, I, yeah. I, Sorry, Can I just yes, jump yeah. in a moment, just yeah. while this is relevant? Um, uh, there was quite a bit of activity on Twitter yesterday with uh, apparently, so, uh, you know, these multi-tracks that are out there now. Um, apparently, Abbey Road in its entirety, multi-tracks are out. Someone's oh, wow. leaked them. Oh, yeah. Really? <laughs> oh, absolutely. No, I got, I got a link to all of it. Oh, uh, right. <laughs> wow. And what I think it is, is I think it's the rock band Motherlove. In other words, I think I, it's where, what their server was. That's what I think. It, that's what I think. It, I was going to say that I heard is it come from. Is that another fine, uh, fine ambassador for cloud computing, there, Rich? I'm sure you'll be pleased to know. <laughs> well, I don't. I don't. You know, offer these things myself, but I did receive a link to them, and you can tell from you can sort of tell that it's rock band work because if you examine the early songs, you can tell they were working from monophonic masters, and you can solo the individual tracks they ended up with and hear how well they were able to isolate the bass, for example. Oh, that's interesting. And then on the later ones, you can hear that they're direct multi-track transfers because they had multi-tracks to work from. Right, So right, on, right, on stuff from about the mid-60s on, it's really for a Beatle-ophile like myself, it's like a magnificent thing to be able to solo the piano at the start of the song, you never give me your money at in Abbey Road, and just listen to that. You know, like it's just a really remarkable thing. Well, we we love that kind of stuff. I mean, I still think. I mean, do you ever? Do, are you are you like that, Dave Gamson? Do you ever kind of like to be able to? You do you watch all those kind of programs where you end up with the, uh, um, you know, the, 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 this is how we recorded this. Would you like to see all that stuff on kind of uh, major release? Maybe that's something for a future kind of retrospective for Scrapability, that sort of stuff. Do you are you a fan of that kind of thing? I mean, Beatles stuff I'm always interested in because it's like, you know, we all grew up with it. So mm. I love listening to that. But it's the, the yeah. deconstruction aspect of being able to, you know, it's like some people offer multi tracks. You know, it's when you, I, I'm sure you must have been involved in remixes in the past where your multi track turns up and it's like a sort of treasure trove of stuff on there. And it's kind of quite enjoyable to open them up and just see what was on what track. Well, I, I mean, along those lines, somebody sent me the, I think there was Superstition, all the multis from that. And that was pretty amazing so there's a bunch of those floating around yeah, they are interesting dave spears um you haven't said anything for ages <laughs> no. <laughs> no or at all actually since the introduction as far as i can tell oh no there was know a... why why because i'm <laughs> hypnotized hey! oh. Oh. Yeah. we hadn't rehearsed that i'd just like to say it mr gamson be... um <laughs> no nothing else to say really i mean you know, I use Melodyne DNA, I use RX2, love them both to death. Uh, basically, everything that Rich said is spot on. Do you think they're more for the forensic scientist amongst us than the kind of wildly creative, let's just make it do something it was never supposed to? Or is it possible to do that quite easily? Oh, not at all. I mean, the fantastic thing about RX2 is, you know, being able to kind of lasso shapes from the spectrogram and stuff and then superimpose those on other... I mean, for sound design, it's absolutely awesome, and you can get so many happy accidents from it. 
Yeah, that's why it interests me. I want to be able to lasso things and then throw them through plugins, which I believe it can do, right? So you can just yeah. sort of throw well, that, different chunks of it through different plugins. That sounds good. You make it sound like such a visceral experience there, Mark. You know, just huge gestural kind of sweeps of doing stuff. <laughs> I like the idea of that. I mean, that, that, <laughs> I, that's kind of an interesting idea. It does sound interesting. Does it, all, does it work as a plugin or is it as a standalone? Uh, certain parts of it work as a plug-in, but actually as a standalone, it's probably better. Okay. I guess if you want to do that, because I imagine running plugins from within a plugin might be getting a little bit uh, hairy on uh, on on some uh, host systems. I imagine that might be. Yeah, I mean, there's certain modules that RX2's got that obviously you can run within Logic or whatever, but I generally use it and then just output the audio from RX2 directly. Oh, fantastic. So you're saying you can, if you can run it as a Logic plugin, can RX2 then run VST plugins? So could you theoretically mm-hmm. run VST pr- plugins in Logic? No, I don't think you can. No, no, no. So you can't, and, you can't. Okay, right. And the extent to which you can process individual elements from within RX2, I think, is limited to the stuff <laughs> that RX2 offers you. In other words, it's not like you're laying some compressor from your UA collection into the thing. Oh, I've done Much that. like wow. the rest of their stuff. Oh, you have? Yeah. In, and, and in real time, you can route different aspects of a spectrograph to different outputs and different plugins? Uh, generally, I'm only working with one particular part, as it were, so I don't know about routing separate parts to separate plugins. Okay. Wow. That's sort of... That's really that's that's kind of like three D, isn't it? That's in just fact, I'm looking at it now, and it's got I've got the UA Space Echo, the RE two hundred one up, and I'm oh, rooting cool. some audio through that. So yeah, from within the plugin, then <laughs> from within the standalone RX two. I see. Oh, okay, cool. Mm. Now may, that might be a feature of the RX two Advanced. I don't know whether that's on the you know the. I the think it might be actually. Sheet. I think it might be because the Advanced one is is a different kind of. Uh, a different price point, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, that's the one I'm interested in anyway. Ah, okay. Well, folks, I mean, we're kind of, it feels like we're, we're, we've done one topic, but that sort of feels like enough because we've, we've had such a brilliant um, discussion, a wide-ranging discussion based on um, the stuff that Dave has said, Dave Gamson, and, you know, this, this other topic. I feel that we're, I feel replete almost. So, I mean, But, folks, it's been great. Thank you very much. I want to say to Dave Gamson, thank you very much for, uh, for joining us. It's been really uh, a pleasure and an honour to talk to you. And Thanks. Thanks for having me. DaveGamson.com, is that right? Where's the best place? for people to find oh no you can't find me oh no apart from that (laughs) or at least to to start looking (laughs) no i don't have a website i'm sure no no, you can't find me oh right okay (laughs) we'll keep that quiet then (laughs) i'll just disappear back into the ethernet absolute is out uh, in europe at the moment is it coming out in the states as well Um, are there there plans I i actually have no idea but it was an emi compilation and we had a weird deal, which was um, we were signed to Virgin for half the world and Warner's for America. So I don't know how that works. So the ones who are first to crack and release will be closely watched by the other one who will then do exactly the same with modifications, no doubt. That's the sort of yeah, way these things tend to work, isn't it, I suppose? Well, I wish you every success with that, and it's really great to kind of revisit that stuff because it's been a little while. At the time, you know, it was, one of, it was always on my turntable, and that is, that's just to kind of... Uh, that's a, that in itself is an amazing concept, yet, let alone actually listening to it again now and, and, and how it's translated over the years. It's still really, really relevant, I think. So uh, great work, and thank you very much for, for all thank of that. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. And we have two new tracks on it. Yes, we do. So for us, for us fanboys, there are two new tracks on there. So Excellent. The, the, uh, they, how, were they written recently, or were they kind of previously unreleased? Uh, no, they're... Pretty recent, within the last you know couple of years, we did them. But um, yeah, they were a lot of fun to do. That sounds like there might be some more material on the way. Would that be a Would that be a probing question? Um, I, I don't. There's no plans really. <laughs> okay. <honestly. laughs> Damn. Anyway, thank you very much for your honesty. Yeah. Um, and thank you very much for joining us. And also, that other voice there was uh, Dave Spears, G4Software.com. Thank you for joining us, at least at the beginning and the end. 
<laughs> yeah, no, it's a moment for me being on the same show, eh? Ah, uh, well, you know, we try and we try and we we do try and um, fulfil everybody's dreams once they've uh, come on the team. So, um, g4software.com, and uh, thank you very much, and for the occasional sample there, that was uh, very much appreciated. Yes, <laughs> I'll leave you one more. Uh, okay. <laughs> Uh, Does <laughs> that word girl? Oh yes. Ah yeah. uh, yes. God, I named that in one note. I feel very very proud of myself. <laughs> See, I wasn't I wasn't making it all up. I was actually a fan of the stuff and still am anyway. Uh, thank you very much. And also, uh, Rich Hilton in Connecticut, myspace.com forward slash Hiltonius. Thank you very much, Rich, for joining us too. Thank you very much. And nice to meet you, Dave. Great job. Yeah, nice to meet you too. Thanks. And we go to Gaz Williams, uh, songsurgeon.co.uk. Thanks for joining us too, Gaz, and for your yeah, brilliant, brilliant input on that uh, on, the, uh, on the extraction. <laughs> we'll have to try that. It's a great party trick. I noticed that uh, Orgs is in the chat room, and I know that he's a huge, huge Scritty fan, and uh, so I'm sure he'll, he'll be thrilled to listen to Mr. Gamson talking, so thank you very much. Thanks. Thank you. And I'll come back here also. uh, Mark Tinley, thank you very much for joining us too. Likebeing.com with your red spiky hair, which hopefully we will see if all the plans go well. We'll have a a multiple video screen of people um, participating. That's the plan anyway, if the bandwidth can hold up. So don't don't have it redone (laughs) before then. Uh, yeah, thank you very much. Nice to meet you, Dave. I've got a young five-year-old who's asking me how to spell things here, so I'm going to have to go and answer those questions, but uh, much enjoyment as always. Thank you very much, Mark. So anyway, that was Sonic Talk 209, available at all good MP3 outlets uh, Thursday uh, today, Thursday. Um, thank you very much again also to our sponsors, YamahaDownload.com and YamahaProAudio.com. Uh, we'll be back next week uh, with uh, with more of the same. That was Sonic Talk 209.